Hey folks, before we get to the show, I wanted to let you know that Fresh Hop Cinema is brought to you this week by The Handlebar right here in Chico, offering 28 types of craft beer, German-inspired pub fare, and an outdoor patio on 20th Street, again, right here in Chico. They're next to Winco and Best Buy, and they open every day at noon. The Handlebar, a specialty beer bar for the adventurer. Check out The Handlebar on Facebook or call 894-BEER for more information, and be sure to check out their happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. Get a dollar off all their draft beers. The Handlebar. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie discussion. We are based here in Chico, California, and I am one half of that we. My name is Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Thanks for joining us again this week. Yeah, on our show this week, we've got our review of the new James Bond film, No Time to Die. It's the, uh, I believe, 25th film in the James Bond series. This time it's uh, Daniel Craig in his fifth and final portrayal as James Bond. We'll talk more about that in a bit here, but first we'll get to beer. Johnny Summers, what are we drinking? Yeah, stick around. We're going to spend a solid 20 minutes on every 25 movies. I swear to God. That's so many. <laughs> it's Good so many. Lord. Uh, this week, we feature beers provided by our own young Maxwell from the brewery Radeberger out of Germany. They are very famous. If you've never heard of them, you should try their stuff. Yeah, if you're listening on KZFR 90.1 FM in Chico or the surrounding area, or maybe online at kzfr.org, all you're going to get to hear is our first beer review and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of No Time to Die. But don't fear, because... Yeah, you can hear the whole chat, uh, plus more than 200 other episodes of this show, going all the way back to 2016 and any of the following places. Yeah, we're basically everywhere on the internet, as I understand it. We're on Spotify and SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and all sorts of stuff. We put out new episodes every single Friday morning at 7-ish a.m. I was late to the draw, so if you're wondering, at 7.01, where our episode was, I got it up by 10 a.m., but 7-ish every Friday morning, new content in your podcast feeds. If you do like the show, feel free to leave us a five-star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people that haven't heard of us hear of us. That's fair. We'll give you a break. Sometimes your your late nights turn into early mornings. You got, you got a busy life, man. Sometimes mornings get long. I forgive <laughs> you. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram for pictures and Letterboxd for film reviews and Untapped for beer reviews, all at Fresh Hop Cinema or go to our website, freshhopcinema.com. Yeah, actually, if you want to reach out to us with more thoughts, you can email us like our friend Nick Land just did at the time of, what is it, like two minutes before we hit record today? We got an email from our friend Nick. Mm-hmm. You can be like Nick. You can send us an email to fhccast at gmail.com. That's right. If you want more of us, you can hear all of the fun bonus episodes that we do every single week on Patreon.com. That's Fresh Hop Cinema or Patreon.com slash Fresh Hop Cinema. We do bonus episodes on a range of topics. We have a film knowledge series. We have beer reviews. We have top five lists. Sometimes it's just silly. And we don't plan anything. It's really fun. We do events for our patrons. They get their first shot at merch. We just did a run, small run of, of T-shirts that I'm very excited about. That Next week. Patreon Patreon members got first crack at. Uh, mental note, need to snag one of those for Shalina. Done. Uh, so they're in high demand. I have people hitting me up in person and on Instagram. And if you're on Patreon, you would have heard about it first. Also, we have a fun uh, bar hang. I don't know why I need to preface it with fun. We have fun activities yeah. for you. Um <laughs> Much fun, very good time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, tomorrow we're doing a bar hang, 
Uh, we're going to hang out, have some beers at the Chico Tap Room. Uh, it'll already have happened, so I'm going to spoil where it's at. We This last Wednesday, we had a hangout. Yeah, and so I'm sure you, it was a blast. Be, yeah, I'm pretty sure I had a ball. But you could be in on that. We do fun. We <laughs> Every time, I want to say fun. Say fun. We it's do fun, movie man. Don't, don't sell us short. It's fun, so say it. <laughs> no, I can't say every event we do. We do fun things. We do fun merch. We have fun mm, events. We do. we do fun bonus content. Uh, yeah. Anyways, it's more of this silly goose time. So if you want more of it, it's like a buck a week at the minimum. You can donate more. It helps keep this show going. It funds the beers, the movies, so we don't have to pay to entertain you. I think that's just lame. I don't want to pay to entertain you. Sure. If that's the case, we'll, we would just hang out and I'll buy my own beers. But since I'm on the radio or the internet in your ears, I would like you to pay me to entertain you. That's the bottom line. Right, yeah. Max? Yeah, and if you are into that, most recently on Patreon, we crossed another film off of the list of Johnny's future Broken Promises, which is a, I was going to say ever-growing, but lately ever-shrinking list of films that I suggest to Johnny that he says he will watch. And then now we've just decided, because this has been going on for years, where he just doesn't. We'll put him on a list on Patreon and cross him off. So we just covered, or he just covered, I think is more a better way of saying it, a Den of Thieves, a 2018 film, 2018 heist movie. Uh, that I really enjoyed. And I was like, man, you got to see it. And he did. And you enjoyed it, my friend, which made me very happy. So we will be putting up our review of uh, of that segment on Patreon in the next few days. Um, so enjoy that if you haven't had a chance to listen to it. I think that's the lesson here. With that, sir, let us jump in to content of the day. I mentioned, or you mentioned that I picked out beers this week. I was in Reno and I went to one of my favorite bottle shops there called Craft. And I saw a can that it says, I just saw the backside of it and it said 58th New York Film Festival. And then I turned it around and it's from a brewery in Germany called Radeberger. And before we get into the beer, if you would indulge me, uh, could we do a bit of time traveling? Do it. We're like late 1800s right now, okay? You can feel it in the air. It's the late 1800s. Let's say 1870, Germany. Uh, around this time, as I'm sure we all know, uh, the Deutsche Bank is established. We are also in the very beginning of the Franco-Prussian War. France has just now declared war on Prussia. We're in like, yeah, like the summer of 1870. Um, the Reichstag of the North German Confederation was renamed the North German Confederation of the German Empire, which seems redundant, but fine. Then we're into 1871, and William Walls is crowned Emperor of the German Empire in the Hall of Mirrors at Versailles. It's all very big, important stuff. But I want to take you just a year later into the future and, and go to a little tiny town. It's in eastern Germany, a little ways past Dresden. We're in 1872. And there's these couple of dudes by the names of, bear with me, <clears throat> Gustav Philipp, Max Rumpelt, Florence Julia Skone, Karl Heimenrache, and Heinrich Minzwitz. <laughs> just got worse as I went going. These five dudes gathered for a beer in this little local tavern they had, and they hatched this plan to brew an entirely unique German pilsner, unlike anything anybody had ever seen. And all these guys came from different backgrounds. Uh, a couple were businessmen, some were into politics, manufacturing, that kind of stuff. And this story goes to say that, that the fact that none of them knew anything about brewing prior to this was not in any way deterring their future goals. They were convinced that by pooling their ingenuity, their money, their lack of doing anything wrong, they could create the best tasting German Pilsner of the day. And that is, of course, the story of how uh, Radeberger Brewery was formed since 1872. They say this, we've been guided by a single-minded pursuit. We call it, quote, Pilsner perfection, the perfect combination of water, hops, and barley, and a passion to share our distinctive taste with the world, first in Saxony, then Germany, and around the globe. So, a couple takeaways. We're drinking some beers that have been around for a very long time. Fortunately, the ones in our cans are very fresh, and they caught my eye at Craft in Reno, so shout out to Craft. Um, and that's all I wanted to say before we dive into our first beer. 
I love it. Uh, you should mention, too, what it says on the can regarding the 58th New York Film Festival. All right. Sure. It says it takes dedication. Or I can. Whatever you want to do. I don't care. Do it. You're on a roll. It takes dedication, commitment, and passion to create something truly remarkable and exciting, a tasteful experience for the senses. That's why Radeberger Pilsner is a proud sponsor of the New York Film Festival. So this, yeah, if you didn't know, the New York Film Festival happened pretty recently. So these cans I'm seeing on the bottom, um, 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 let's say... I don't know. Do you know what that dating is, my friend? We should have prepared better for this. That's fine. That is packaged Hello? on 8 2021 expires 11-21-2021. Yep. I don't know why I couldn't decode that when you say it like that. It makes so much sense. So, yeah, we, we're drinking this like maybe two months, but knowing craft, it's been perfectly taken care of and stored and... Um, I won't tip my hand too early cause I haven't officially opened my beer yet, but I did have a couple of these cause I bought a six pack. Uh, and I know for a fact they're very fresh. Well, and anything imported that you are drinking that's manufactured, manufactured in anywhere in Europe that's less than three months old is yeah. impressive because I mean, it had to come here probably on a barge. Totally. So Pr- pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, that's the only one I'm going to do. Pretty rad. Okay. All so right. pretty fun. Um, the first one, <laughs> the first one that we're drinking from this, they're both, both of our beers today are from Radeberger. And, and the first one is just their flagship Pilsner. It's a traditional German Pilsner. It clocks in at 4.8%. Um, I would tell you the ingredients. Well, I could have just told you by now. Water, barley malt, and hops. That's it. True to the Reinheitsgebot, laws of purity. That's all that's in this beer. And let's get cracking, man. Have you opened yours? I have. I've been sipping on it this whole time because my throat is very dry, and I've been looking forward to revisiting this beer. This is a brewery that I'm somewhat familiar with and uh, always been a favorite of mine just in this category. It's, yeah, it's a very pleasant beer. But I just revisited it. I drank it, took a few nice big sips, and one thing that I don't recall tasting that I'm picking out now, which is really enjoyable, is the initial sip has a very apple bite. It definitely has a nice like green apple crispness that get, then gives way to kind of a golden mellow smoothness with some, a little bit of a malty backbone. Uh, absolutely just so pure and simple. I mean, this is uh, just simple perfection. I mean, there's, this is a world-class beer. It's something that it's been around so long. It set a gold standard and I feel the current climate of craft beer is gravitating back to this level of simplicity and the, the just the downright drinkability and the fact it's so enjoyable. It's accessible. It doesn't push any big buttons. It's not, you know, there's no frills. There's no bells, no whistles. This beer knows exactly what it is. It's made exactly the way it should be made. And it is, it's legendary. I mean, this beer is, is a legend in the beer world. So I, I love it, man. I'm happy to be drinking it again. Uh, I'm trying to look at it with fresh eyes because I've tried a zillion Pilsners because they're yeah. so trendy right now. And I love it because I got into craft beer on beers like Radeberger Pilsner. So for it to come full circle and see local breweries even trying to replicate this makes me very happy because it's it's something that's so proven. Why wouldn't you try and replicate it? Like if it's done right, let's just do that. You know, sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes the wheel's already been built. You just roll with it, man, and make great beer. Are you you drinking out of your your um what the heck's it called? Mason jar? Nope. I honored this beer with a fresh hop cinema branded pint glass. Oh, that's very fun. I am going actually out of a stein. I busted out my October my Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest stein for I think oh, the first time I this should. year. I almost suggested it to you before we started, but it does feel 
it feels like the type of beer that should be in this, which, which actually by definition of a Stein and traditionally what's in a Stein, I guess it is what's supposed to be in it. Um, but it makes me like, why haven't I been putting all of these pilsners we've been doing recently into these steins or the fest beer? Like, I don't know why I didn't drink that last week out of a stein. I should have. Honestly, we're really just missing the boat here. All right. The next beer we do beer. Number two will be consumed out of a stein, which will also be a pilsner of sorts. So awesome. Um, okay. So I'm loving it too. I was going to get at this. The point of the stein for me today is not only is it traditional and good for this beer, but it's also slightly got more volume than the beer has. It's a, I think it's like a 22 ounce stein and we're drinking these out of pint cans. Um, so I got a really good opportunity to get kind of my nose in there and really smell it. And it just, it smells so fresh too. this, the sweetness and, and the the apple notes you were mentioning jumped out to me more as like, like a, almost like a, like a citrus infused honey kind of sweetness. Mm, and some of that's definitely. the maltiness, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving how carbonated, like it's, it's the perfect mouthfeel like of like effervescent bubbly goodness that makes you want to go back for a second drink and also keeps it feeling really light. And you could drink a bunch of these. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just this beer, the smell, the effervescence, it makes me feel like I'm sitting in the middle of a meadow somewhere in Germany, like by a babbling brook, just enjoying a sunny afternoon with a blue sky. Like it's, yeah, it just takes you to a place, man. It's just so like, you know, you ever just drink a beer and feel like everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Not that I'm a raging alcoholic, but like some flavors, like make you feel that way. It's not the alcohol. It's the flavor, the experience, just the sensory uh, load, not overload. It's just loaded enough. It just does everything to you that you want it to do. And it's just, man, yeah, I'm such a pleasant put experience. myself in that meadow with you. Cause I think you're totally right. I'm going to add a couple things in the distance. I do hear some music coming from over the Hills, but there's like this little cottage and there's some smoke rising from the chimney. And I think just on the air, I'm catching just notes of like sourdough bread being baked fresh. And that with the addition mm. of some butterflies floating in the dandelions is like the exact mentality this makes me feel. Think. Yeah. Be. E- either that or we're at Oktoberfest and I've got the world's biggest pretzel in my hand and we're just like singing and dancing together. I think it's too tranquil. I think this beer is too peaceful for that. Like I want to be in a countryside somewhere. Just, just you know, not, not unlike James Bond in retirement. Like I just want to be alone and peaceful and enjoying my beer in the grass. Yeah, I could, you know, tranquil is a really good word for this beer. I would never thought that that would be a good descriptor, but it really is. It does set a mood of like relaxation, tranquility, just like calming, peaceful, smooth. Like, you know, it feels like this beer is so well put together. It makes me feel like by enjoying it that somehow I internalize it and I feel a bit more well put together. Yeah, totally. Like, oh, okay, this is how things are supposed to work. Okay, you know, when you taste something that, just works and has been so proven for literally what centuries yep hundreds of years yeah that's that's not nothing man this is uh have you had you ever had radeberger before this have you spent much time actually like evaluating this on a critical level or tasted it at all before no no i I didn't i didn't know this was such a i I just the can caught me because of the film festival thing and i did very little research i just bought it because i'd never had it before um and i assumed that since it was a German import seemed like a specialty beer that maybe you hadn't had either. But yeah, then the more I looked, I was like, no, this is kind of everywhere. And I've just sort of missed it. Yeah. It's one that's so in your face. It almost flies under the radar. Cause this is in like a lot of places. Like I want to say this is in like chain grocery stores, even weird. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. feel like this is a beer you could probably get at Rayleigh's. Well, I will keep my eyes open because I really enjoy it, which brings us to the point in the show where we should give it a rating out of 10. If you're good with it. 
Yeah, I am good with it. I mean, I can't think of any reason why this beer shouldn't be a 10. I really can't. It's proven by time uh, and it holds up. I think this is, in a lot of ways, a beer that has set the bar for a major trend in craft beer that we're seeing right now. I mean, just the historical importance of this uh, is being proved by the style's relevance in today's society. So it's a 10 for me. Yeah, it's a pretty easy rating there. For me, too, it's a 10. It's I got nothing to disagree with you there. It's great. It's well-made. There's nothing I would change. It's been, it's been doing things right for a very long time. It hasn't changed it, so... Great. 10 for me. Once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, very possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you get a chance to try the Pilsner from Radeberger, we do want to know what you think. So reach out. Maybe you take a picture of it and you post it on social media. If you do, tag us at Fresh Hop Cinema. That's right. You can email us as well if you have thoughts on this beer, our second beer, or the movie this week, No Time to Die. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you're listening. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. It helps people find us. And now, here's a trailer for our movie of the week, No Time to Die. Bond, any thug can kill. I have to know I can trust you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. You are a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. Is this really what you want? Always alone? used to be able to get into a room with the enemy. Now they're just floating in the ether. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. Oh my God, target enough people. And the people become the weapon. Who is he? James, you don't know what this is? James Bond, licensed to kill. In love with Madeline Swan, I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind, isn't it? Come on, Bond, where the hell are you? Don't do this. There will be nothing left to save. I have to finish this. You have a flow on this. No. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. This is a show about the worlds of craft beer and movies intersecting in fun ways. You might be listening on KZFR 90.1 FM. 
you can subscribe to Fresh Lab Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our discussion today in its entirety. It'll be available tomorrow morning, which is Friday if you're listening to this on the radio, at 7 a.m. Johnny Summers, for anybody just joining us, remind them what they've heard. Yes, you've heard a trailer for No Time to Die, the brand new latest offering in the James Bond series of films, of which there are 25. In this current installment, we find James Bond is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica after Mm. leaving active service. However, his peace is short-lived as his old CIA friend, Felix Leiter, shows up and asks for help. The mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be far more treacherous than expected, leading Bond on the trail of a mysterious villain who's armed with a dangerous new technology. That's right. No Time to Die was directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga. You might know that name, possibly from the film Beats, Beasts of No Nation, or the entire first season of True Detective, which was a crime noir thriller series on HBO starring Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Screenplay was written by Robert Wade, Neil Purvis, Kerry Joji Fukunaga, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. The cast includes the titular James Bond, played by, once again, in his last take crack at the role, Daniel Craig. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of people in this movie, and, and we'll probably talk about them intermittently, but we'll sort of focus on the key players here. You also have Leah Seydoux, who she's a French actress playing Madeline. Uh, the movie opens with the two of them sort of enjoying a romantic getaway. He is in retirement, and, and he's, uh, for all we can tell just gonna spend the rest of his life with her. That's, that's Madeline. Um, and you also have Rami Malek showing up here as Lucifer Safin. What's his deal? Yeah, he's the bad guy. Sure. He's really, really bad. That's, <laughs> that's all we'll say for now. He's very, very bad. Okay. And then you had Lashana Lynch as, or I'm sorry, Lashana Lynch's as Nomi. She is, the new 007. She took over that title after one Daniel Craig retired. Yeah. And then and uh, you also go ahead. Oh, yeah. You had Ralph Fiennes as M who actually took over the role from one Dame Judy Dench. Yes. You might also know him by his more popular way of pronunciation. Uh, Rafe Fiennes who, and maybe even more so Lord Voldemort. Shh. Uh, and then I guess we should mention one more person, uh, Naomi Harris's character. She plays money penny. She's been in the past couple films. She was an agent in skyfall. And then she sort of fell into the, the, the more historical money penny role, which is kind of like a secretariat, uh, at MI6. Yeah, that's it. This was released October 8th, 2021 in the U S of a yeah. runs two hours and 43 minutes long. So, okay. Took so your line. James Bond. 25 movies now. That's a lot of them. Are you a fan? Of, are you a fan of James Bond in general? Overall, yeah. I like, I, you know, I think I've liked every James Bond movie I've seen. Some of them are more memorable than others, but I would say overall, yeah, I'm a fan of the franchise. Who's your favorite James Bond? Well, it's Daniel Craig. Yeah? Yeah, I, we can maybe get into, possibly in the danger zone, we can talk about sort of the many the many uh, James Bonds since Dr. No in 1962, the, the, the first film. Um, but but I've spent some time revisiting the Daniel Craig ones, specifically the past four days. I, I watched the first four movies that Daniel Craig was in. So I watched Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. And I almost made it through Spectre in time for this recording, but I didn't. The point is, I've uh, become very familiar with his bond over the past week or so. And, and I think he's far and away the most complex and interesting version of James Bond. So yeah, he's, he's, he's bond for me. What about you? Uh, I love Sean Connery. I grew up watching the movies with, with yeah. him and, but also like there's an undeniable 
swagger in Roger Moore. I really enjoy his movies as well. Mm-hmm. I like them the one the older ones. Um, so I would say yeah, either Sean Connery or Roger Moore for me. All right. Uh, well, what did you think of No Time to Die, the movie? All right. So No Time to Die. I went in with the pretty much standard James Bond movie expectations. I wanted there to be car chases. I wanted there to be explosions, shootouts, gadgets. I wanted there to be, you know, um, some. there's always a thread of romance in these movies to varying degrees. Sometimes it's very, you know, ham-fisted and cheesily seductive other times there's been some some deeper romance and emotion so i wanted to see what they were going to do from that angle that's on my list of things to check Uh, and obviously a villain uh james bond franchise is known for their kind of over-the-top villains a lot of them with like facial disfigurement or crazy metal teeth i mean there's been a lot of of interesting villains in this franchise so I was expecting, you know, a James Bond movie on par with the other Daniel Craig films. And what I found was something that really hit all the marks. There was an undeniable cool factor to this movie that I think Daniel Craig brings and really embodies in a very modern way as James Bond. I love just watching him drive. I think all the car scenes of him just driving through the countryside are really cool. I mean, Doug, that uh, Rami Malek played... A very villainous villain, and we'll definitely get into that more. So it hit a lot of the marks. I mean, there was gadgets galore. His car did some really cool things. There was, it checked all the boxes of a good James Bond movie. What made this movie, this film separate, I think a little bit, was kind of the emotional depth and a bit more of the the arc and the complexity that you mentioned that I think Daniel Craig and particularly the writing of him as James Bond in this current incarnation of the franchise, that that complexity brings more to the table than the kind of one-dimensional womanizing spy, which is, it's very refreshing to see because that's been done. It doesn't need to be done more. And the fact that they've taken this character beyond that gives this franchise future viability as well. But I think this was an excellent installment in the franchise, gave me everything I wanted. I was worried about the length Uh, It really didn't bother me that much. I think it was a very complex and ever-evolving plot that didn't get too convoluted. I think it was easy enough to follow, but still had the twists and turns that keep you guessing that you want in a spy movie. So overall, in summarization, I like this movie quite a bit. It checked all my boxes, and I like Daniel Craig quite a bit as James Bond as well. So uh, two thumbs up from me. Max, what did you think? I think you're hitting on a lot of points that I was thinking as well, particularly with respect to the idea that the, 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 like the James Bond, and this is my biggest thing with sort of the older films, like you're sort of thrown into the world of spies and espionage. And James Bond is just this, this larger than life spy. You don't ever get to know him really aside from whatever mission he's on. And then sooner or later, another actor takes over and they pick up basically with the momentum that the last film left you with. And I think for me, that always made it really tough to connect with him as a character because he was just like a really talented spy, a womanizing, whatever, like cool guy in pretty big quotes for whatever decade he came out in. And yeah. what struck me upon some of these rewatches, I mean, I watched these one one night, I watched two in a row, but it was basically at least one a day. And how much of an origin story Casino Royale was blew my mind. That came out in 2006, so 15 mm. years ago. Um, wow. Yeah. And I didn't appreciate it at the time and and possibly not even until I just now rewatched it. But I think that the reason 
that I liked No Time to Die as much as I did, and I'll obviously talk about that more in a second, but is that I've gotten to know James Bond as a character through Daniel Craig for so long, and they spent the time to make him a character. Because if you don't remember in Casino Royale, he starts off, he's just been given the designation of double O. So he's, he's gotten his first two, because that's, if you didn't know, that's how you become a double O. You have to get your first two kills, basically. And it picked mm. up, the movie starts with him not really being James Bond. He doesn't even say the, the like, Bond, James Bond, until the very end of that movie, which is such a cool way of establishing him as a character. Um, it was also really notable to me that in all of those films, th they sort of lacked the gadgetry and flashiness that a lot of its predecessors had. And it wasn't until No Time to Die where you get all that again. Like, you get a villain in a secret lair on a deserted island, and you, of course, like all the the Rami Malek stuff you mentioned, like his facial deformities and there's more gadgets and there's cars and there's, there's more like needle drop moments too. There's just like the theme song in these really predictable points. And for some reason it felt way more genuine to me in this movie than in any other James Bond I've ever seen. And I think the reason for that is that I've spent four other movies now getting to this point. Like I'm, we're building on a foundation that I can finally get behind. And, and I feel like we've put in the work to get to. So every hmm. single payoff in this movie was way more satisfying. I think because of that. Nice. That's interesting. And that's a perspective that you wouldn't have gotten if you hadn't watched all those movies so recently. So yeah, that's kind of a testament to the, what they've done with Daniel Craig as James Bond and maybe some advice to, to go back and start with Casino Royale and revisit these, especially because my boy is the villain in Casino Royale. I love him so much. Oh, Mads Mikkelsen. Yep. Yeah, man. La Chiffre. It's great. Yeah, man. Casino Royale is so good. Oh. Um, it also he was such a good Bond villain. Right. It establishes this idea, though, of Bond and his sort of relationship with women, which is one of the big turnoffs I've had towards James Bond over the past, you know, since I ever saw the first James Bond movie ever. Like, I don't really go in for the womanizing thing. And it felt like, especially in the 80s, those movies that came out, it was very much like sexploitation kind of stuff. It'd be like, Here's a scantily clad woman that he just had sex with. And then he's like, gotta go, gotta go do a mission. And then she's left kind of vulnerable in a bed. There's none of that stuff yeah. in the in the Daniel Craig films. And on the flip side, they just have all of these really, really awesome complex female characters. Arguably the most important one being, I would say, uh, Judy Dench as M, if not um, Vesper Lynn, played by Eva Green in Casino Royale. Mm -hmm. And it, yep. it's, it almost tries to justify his like distrust of women that sort of kicks off this movie. And it all comes back to her and like his, his evolution of his relationship with women, basically since he was an orphan. And like it ties it in so well and just adds these layers and layers to a guy who previously had very few, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, James Bond throughout most of this franchise was a very one dimensional spy trope. I mean, I was going to say the sentence, you know, he was always leaving a faceless woman in a bed to go do a mission. Totally. I mean, that is that is part and parcel for James Bond that we knew pre Daniel Craig. And I love that they got away from that because as the world evolved and filmmaking evolved, that trope became quite cheap and yeah. overplayed. And the fact that they evolved from that really, like you said, gave that character room to breathe, which was tremendous because in your words, it made him a character. Yeah, man. Um, getting back here to no time to die. I wanted to make one more reference to skyfall, which is the film with uh, Javier Bardem's character, who was like an ex MI six agent. He used to be 007 and then, sort of attacked from the internet and got at them. But it, it established this idea that James Bond as Daniel Craig's James Bond might be getting kind of old <laughs> and, and mm -hmm. just, and it, cause it's true. He's been doing this for 15 years. He's not the youngest guy anymore. So just coming back to this movie, like 
he does a lot of really physical stuff. And I wanted just to get sort of my larger feelings about the movie as an action movie, which I think is very well done. There's some great fight scenes. The gadget stuff is cool. The car stunts are cool. There's a great sequence that happens in the third act where it's this one long take of him fighting his way up a staircase, uh, you know, uh, you know, multi-levels like a, like a, you know, like a fire escape, not a fire escape, but like a, we call it like not a tiered a, hallway. Yeah. You know, and there's, it's a great sequence and he does a lot of that action and he's just crushing it. I think he does a great job. I love this type of James Bond. I also like the physicality of his role throughout this. Cause in the old ones, it's like very sort of pulling punches and you can tell none of it hits like this hits all of his punches. Like it yeah. feels so real. He gets beat up. Very gritty. Yeah. Um, so in, in general, man, I'm a big fan. There's, there's some stuff that kind of didn't work the whole time. There's some family elements that get tossed in. And I think for the most part I'm on board, but some of it just slightly didn't work for me, but for the most part, man, big, big fan of no time to die. Well, that's fair. I think I'm kind of on the same page as you. I love how much he wore the damage on his face and certain times in this movie, he did like show his age too, like getting up from a fight after he like knocked somebody out or killed somebody. It was a little groany. He made some dad noises yeah, getting right. up off the ground. And it just, it added such added such humanity and it showed his age. And I think in a way that was, you know, graceful, but also real. Yeah. Agreed. Let's, uh, let's give it a rating out of 10 and we can talk more about spoilers and stuff in the danger zone. Uh, out of 10 for me, this movie, I've been pretty set on my rating since I finished watching it and nothing about this conversation has changed it. It's a, it's an eight, nine. I really, really liked it. 8.9. It's a nine for me. It's very, very good. If you get the chance, uh, you should definitely see it. But in in the meantime, do you have anything else on this before we get into Danger Zone stuff? I think I'm there, man. I'm looking forward to spoilers. So let's get to it. Once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema on KZFR 90.1 FM. No Time to Die is in theaters right now. If you get a chance to see it and you have thoughts of your own, which I'm sure you will, you find us, social media at Fresh Hop Cinema, or send us an email with your feedback. We'd love to hear from you uh, with your take on this movie. So email us, fhccast at gmail.com. Yeah, or just head to our website, freshhopcinema.com, for film reviews, beer reviews, and episodes of this podcast dating all the way back to 2016. To any listeners on KZFR, the full-length version of today's conversation with spoilers, a whole second beer review, plus our favorite section of this week and every week, Hot Unbothered. It'll be available tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. wherever quality podcasts are found. And to all of our podcast listeners, we'll be right back to talk spoilers in the Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Welcome to the Danger Zone, everybody. If you're just joining us for a Danger Zone, welcome. Uh, it's going to be a good time. If you don't know what the Danger Zone is, it's where we are now going to talk about James Bond, No Time to Die, as if, A, you've already seen it, or B, you don't care to see it, because we're going to spoil it. So spoiler alert for James Bond, No Time to Die. This is your final warning. Consider it that. So you are warned. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not the smoothest intro I've ever done to the Danger Zone, but not the smoothest James Bond ever. So I think it part and parcel. That's fair. You can't say part and parcel. I just said that. Did you? Because I was wondering why that was in my head. I've never said that before in my life. <laughs> yeah okay. i just said it great par for the course <laughs> that's fine okay hey um, you're allowed okay 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 james bond no time to die what do you want to talk about first Ooh, i mean since we all just saw this movie yep. we i mean i have to talk about the fact that this is daniel craig's last role and they kind of exploded him okay all right hang on before you jump to the exact end of the movie because i feel well, like well you said well, I know, and we can, but I feel like it'll help my brain. Like, I want to, I told you I wanted to shout this out. 
the Ana de Armas, I guess it's mostly a cameo, really. There's this whole sequence yeah. that happens in Cuba, and she is so I don't even is she like a like mercenary for hire or like a new bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kind of assassin in training? I don't get what her deal was. Yeah, she was like a rookie CIA agent. Well, there was a great sequence with her and Bond at and new Bond, not new Bond, new 007, um, at this big sort of bad guy convention in Cuba. And the fight scene with them is awesome. I would watch those two in a movie all day. Yeah, I was kind of hoping I saw in the trailers that they had some action scenes together. I was really hoping she would be like his partner through the whole movie because it seemed like they had they did have like really cool chemistry and like she was really funny, but also super badass. Like, yeah, I love that they wrote her such a strong character because at first she was kind of like dim witted and like like you said, bright eyed, bushy tailed, like very much so a rookie. But then when when push came to shove, she totally just mopped the floor with motherfuckers. It was great. Yeah, she was like she was clearly just playing James Bond. She also out flirted him, which I think is something that never happens. (laughs) Like she right that was she almost out fought him and out flirted him and like she crushed it. It was so good. Are we going to get a spinoff movie with with her as like a super spy? Maybe it's her and uh, what was the actress's name you mentioned? I don't have my notes right in front of me. I guess I can find it. Uh, Lashana Lynch's Lashana Lynch's as Nomi. Okay. Yeah. I'd watch those two take over the world all day. Right. Talk about a girl power, like badass female spy movie. Yeah. Um, like eat your heart out. Black widow. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Black widow is fine, but it's, you know, whatever. Um, okay. So I wanted to point that out. Great, great sequence. I also really liked Felix and we should, uh, find his name real quick. I will find his name. Um, but that was a really emotional moment too. If you don't know, he's the, uh, he's a, he's a, um, CIA operative that was in Casino Royale. And so we've known him for a while in these movies and they get turned on and he ends up dying, which was very, a very emotional moment. I thought. Yeah, I I thought so too. And also that guy, guy, Ash, man, he was a douche. Yeah. I always think that actor is Tim Heidecker, but it's not. Um, I don't know who he is, but I'm going to find that as soon as I find you Felix's name. Also, uh, Felix's name yeah. is, is I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, my friend, look at me buying time. Jeffrey Wright. That's the actor. He was, um, you know, most man. famous for Westworld probably. Yeah. Westworld. Yeah. That's what people know him from. Mm-hmm. Oh, or the hunger games. Maybe he was in that. Maybe I only watched like you. two of yeah. those. Um, anyways, the actor who is not, uh, who is not Tim Heidecker is, uh, Billy Magnuson. Yeah. I think it's Magnuson. Yeah. That'd make more sense. And he's been in some stuff, but boy, (laughs) Magnuson, (laughs) who would choose Magnuson? I don't fucking know. Uh, oh, he was, okay. Wait, he was in game night, but I swear I thought that was Tim Heidecker as well. Who the fuck's Tim Heidecker? Tim? I think the problem is you don't know who Tim Heidecker yeah, no, is. I do. They look not similar, I guess. I guess they do not look similar. Tim Heidecker was in uh, in Jordan Peele's Us and probably oh. other stuff. Mm. Yeah, but I definitely thought it was Billy Magnuson this whole time. That's amazing. I just, rather, I thought Billy Magnuson was actually Tim Heidecker. Because I remember seeing in Us, I was like, man, Tim Heidecker put on a ton of weight. And I guess it was just a different guy. So... Fair Just enough. a different guy. Yep. It's yep. fine. That, hey, that's why we do this. Uh, it, we're, we're an information podcast, and we're also Dumb. a learning podcast. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes it's us learning. Hey, what I thought it was cool, too, that uh, Q, the Q character played by Ben Wishaw, who's like the nerdy guy that showed up 
I think two movies ago in Skyfall. Uh, yeah. Just threw in a little nugget of him being gay. That was nice. Yeah. A little representation yeah. there. He's like, oh, I got a date. Come on. He's going to be here in 20 minutes. Yeah. And it wasn't like over the top. It wasn't like in your face. Either. I didn't have just, to see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it was more like it was treated as normal. Yeah. Like totally. it wasn't yeah. in your face is in that it wasn't hyper focused on. It they was weren't like just, patting themselves on the back. Like, look what we did. Yeah. Like he as didn't open makers. that door. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so okay. I dug that too. Then obviously like the car shit, like when he did donuts in the car and the, the mm. mini guns came out of the headlights. Oh, I was squealing. Great. Yeah. It was so good. Dude. The moment where yeah. he comes back to, uh, to MI six to I'd like to come out of retirement or whatever. Um, and he's introducing himself to the security guard at the glass. And he goes, he goes, what's your name? He's like bond. And then like, dude looks up almost like he's waiting for him to say James bond, just like we all are. And he finally says it. And the security guard's like, yeah, right, cool. That was a nice yeah. moment, too. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I just wanted to hear you say that. Yeah, it was a good blend yeah, of, and I, of actual cinema and fan service, too, because I think that's important in these movies, especially if definitely. it's his last go. Yeah, and there was notes, too. Like, there was the one scene in the tunnel hallway where he did the famous, like, turn and shoot with his oh, pistol. I from love old, that moment, yeah. Yeah, that was a real just cherry on the top of this movie when it came to, like, fan service and homages. That was... Yes. That was just mwah, chef kiss. Dude, speaking of that shot, the way that the movie opens, which is like, if you don't know what somehow Johnny's talking about, you know, it's how every movie opens and you get him turning 90 degrees towards the camera shooting. And then we are looking through the barrel of the gun. Um, mm-hmm. This movie opens with that. But instead of pulling back, we we push through the barrel of the gun onto this, this sort of downward angle on the snowy woods, which I thought was a really, really cool shot, too. Yeah. Yeah, the intro was rad. I love the song from Billie Eilish, too. Oh, yeah. You should look up the name of that and give it a proper shout-out. It was called No Time to Die. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, are they all just named after the name of the movie? Pretty much. Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would just quick shout-out to the cinematographer, uh, Linus Sandgren. I wanted to shout that out because it was a really there's a lot of really cool shots in this movie, I think. Yeah, it was, and it was pretty to look at as well. Dude, yeah, like some of that stuff that happens in Norway, like those really wide sort of drone shots where the the cars just sort of driving along the coast at sunset those are gorgeous shots yeah i love that i love that that's so iconic james bond too yep 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 yeah i mean this movie was very iconic and very very james bond in all the right ways i think they really did daniel craig a service in his send-off yeah oh hey linus sandgren the cinematographer here was also the dp on la la land oh wow fun which also had some really cool shots yeah it did and i i have to mention too that i've been binge watching um true detective season one because shalina had never seen it yeah so getting immersed in this director was kind of cool didn't put that connection together until we spoke about it in pre-production and i like this dude's style quite a bit it makes me want to look into what else he's done and what he has coming so yeah i'm into that i'm i'm tempted to wonder if you can actually draw any connections between the stylistic choices of true detective and no time to die. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it had a lot of the dialogue too. the way he directs dialogue, uh, between people okay. had a very right. pers- personal feel to it. Just that's the only thing that I just in the brief, you know, 20 minutes yeah. I've had to think about it in the midst of doing a podcast. That's one thing I would say. Nice. Uh, very like a very personal style of, of directing dialogue, just the way he makes people interact in a room, uh, especially when they were interrogating 
oh god i can't remember his german name but christoph waltz's character oh yeah um he was only in this briefly because uh, he was in prison but yeah just that that gritty like like not grimy but like very visceral like interrogation vibe uh and also he directs emotion well i think there was a lot of emotion elicited from these actors in this movie uh and it was played off and acted and directed in a way that felt very genuine there was some real real emotion and some depth of acting that you don't expect from a james bond spy movie so that made me really happy i have to ask though what did you think of Rami Malek as our villain? I loved him, but like that's the that's the weird sort of juxtaposition. Maybe that's not the right word here. The the counterbalance, or, or maybe the balancing act of having a believable villain, but also one that is kind of over the top and silly to fit the maniacal. I have a private island where I'm making biological weapons of mass destruction. Like you need the threat to be real, but also like he's kind of silly ish. But you got to take him seriously. So for me, it worked. He was maybe not the guy I would have gone with, but I think he did a fine job for the part he had to play. What about you? Um, I agree. I think they leaned a bit too much into Rami Malek's weirdness and his just the way he can just be on screen and rely on how he looks and like just say things quietly and like try and be a little creepy mm-hmm. that felt that felt leaned into a bit hard for my liking i think they could have done more with him as a villain he wasn't super charismatic but i don't know if this character was meant to be right but it just it, it definitely left me wanting more out of a villain he felt like a little too pure evil and just like yeah it was almost predict predictable in his level of pure evil and I wanted there to be a little bit more of a mystery. They were trying to make him seem and look and behave mysteriously, but all of his actions were super predictable. So I was like, yeah. is he really that mysterious or is right. he just a creepy guy with a fucked up face? Yeah. I, I, there's that scene where he's he finagles his way into, um, into Madeline's psychiatrist chair or whatever. And he it, he reveals to her that I'm the one that killed your mother and saved you as a child. And then he says something like, there's something about saving a life that is just like taking a life. You're connected to that person forever. He's like, you're mine. I was like, what is your goal here, man? Cause for a minute when they get to the Island, it's like, he's trying to pretend like they're like a family of three, but then he's like, no, I'm just using you as bait for James. I, that was unclear to me a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It was just kind of like, what's, what's, what's going on here? What's the point? What's your goal? Like, and he had her child, and I think it's fair to say at this point it was Daniel Craig's child. It is fair. They had a kid yes. together. Yes. Uh, spoilers and whatnot. Like, he just kind of let her wander off. Like, he didn't really even want her at the end. Like, what, yeah. I didn't understand that. Like you said, the motivations there and the way they were translated on screen didn't quite up for the villain role for me. Yeah, I mean, she bit him, and he was like, if you don't want my protection, just leave. It's like, why would she not leave, dude? Why? Yes, yeah. of course she's going to yeah. go. Yeah, you've known her for like five minutes, and in those five minutes, you've kidnapped her and held a gun to her mom's yeah, face. Right. I don't think she's a fan, bro. I, I like when he asks her, do you like it here? And she goes, no. And yeah, he's, and he's no. like, oh, well, you'll learn to love it here, just like I did. I grew up here, and you'll grow up here. All right, if you want to go, then go. And she's like, fuck this. All right, I'm out. Yeah, she just wanders off back to her mom. I'm like, what? Yeah. That's how the villain's handling this? But, I mean, you have to kind of suspend some disbelief or whatever for that. So, I mean, that's 
it's whatever. The villain wasn't written well, but in all fairness, the movie wasn't really about him. Yeah, I don't even agree with you that he wasn't written well. I just, if I were nitpicking, I would say I wanted more from him. But I was fine with with the depth that he was given. I don't think because He's, it wasn't really about him. He served his intended purpose. Totally. Um, let's get to the ending by first going to the beginning. Did you think there was a chance that James Bond was going to die in this? Yes. Yeah, okay, me too. When did that solidify? You're like, yes, he's going to die. <clears throat> solidify, probably la- the third act. For me, it was when he's like, like saying goodbye to them on the boat. He's like mm, sending them away. He's like, I okay. got to finish this. And she's like, I know. Yeah. Yeah, that's like middle of the third act, I'd say, probably. Yeah, it's right before that stairwell fight that I really enjoyed. Yeah, and I, I knew that it was his last role. Right. Um, and it was either going to be a happy ending or he was going to die. Like, he was either going to run off with them, you know, and I thought for a fleeting moment in the the middle act, like kind of when we first see the child, that, you know, maybe they were going to give him a ride off into the sunset finish, like, Knowing he has a family, maybe he'll just disappear with them. Maybe he yeah. saves the world and and rides off into the sunset, daughter and lady under each arm. But then I'm like, you know, there is the chance that they kill him off. And I think that would be kind of a more epic way for this character arc to end. So I was, it was a coin toss for me. It was either he was going to die or he was going to ride off in the sunset. So I wasn't entirely surprised. It I think it was a better ending this way than it would have been if he did, you know, become domesticated and just have a family. Like it was a nice finality. I mean, obviously it was sad. It definitely pulled on some emotional heartstrings, but it was, uh, I think it was a good firm closing of the book on Daniel Craig's James Bond. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think, I mean, I'm in the same boat. Like it did seem like no pun intended on the boat thing. Um, I was in the same boat as his family. Like, he might not make it out of this, um, which is nuts because no James Bond has ever died since yeah. the first one in 1962. They have never yeah. died. And they, that's a move. Like James Bond is now dead. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Like if you want to continue with that character and reboot it, which you know they will someday, you have to create like a whole new universe like because in this storyline in this canon he is no more and i imagine we're gonna see nomi as Mm -hmm. 007 i know we've spoken there's been some talk of other people assuming that role what's your take on that and like where do you think that character stands right now yeah so that was the distinction i was gonna make it's like james bond is dead 007 definitely not dead because 007 is just a, a, a delegation of number given to a certain assassin so there's presumably a 006 and a 008 that we just never hear about because they're not as cool as James. But yeah, like I expect that the the 00 movies will continue for sure. And I'm I'm down. I'll watch them. Sounds great. Have you heard any more? I know there was talk rumors in the ether of Idris Elba. No, um, yeah, I looked into also, that. That wasn't real. Okay. He said it'd be cool so to play also, it. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Which he's not wrong. Totally. And I think Idris Idris Elba would be a totally badass 007. Um but I do like Lashana Lynch's as Nomi. I think she's got massive potential, and yep. I, I love the idea of her being 007, especially after seeing in this movie her in this movie. I yeah. think she could fulfill that role really well. Her interactions with M and Q and Money Penny, like she fits great into this universe. And I'm here for the next movie if she's 007. Yeah, I really like when she drop kicked that uh, chemist. Yeah, that was he, sick. That dude was funny. I feel like like we haven't mentioned him yet, but he was a funny bad guy. 
He was. He was like the bumbling, kind of haphazard biochemist. Yeah, yeah he was the, really funny. The character's name was uh, Valdo Oberchev, and it was played by uh, David Denchik. He's a he's a Danish actor, Swedish Danish actor. Excuse me. Okay. Uh, very funny. Yeah, like these are some like actually funny moments, and kind of made me torn on. Is he even a bad guy? And it's like, well, he's yeah, he's mass manufacturing something that'll melt your skin. So yeah, probably probably bad guy. He's got to he's got to go. Yeah, especially the way that the the whole thing that we're working on like targets gene sequences and you can set it to like exterminate whole races. Yeah. 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 I like that. They pointed that out just in case we weren't like, if we didn't draw those conclusions ourselves as an audience, he was like, I could program it to kill certain ethnicities. And he's like saying this to like only one of two or three black people in this whole movie. And she's like, all right, dude, you got to go and then go lay in your acid bath and disintegrate. Also. Yeah. That was pretty dope. What happened? So like, Bad guy falls in acid, starts bubbling, and then all of the people standing in their in their hazmat suits are like, at least the way I read it was like, oh shit, that's what this stuff is. We gotta go. Like they, <laughs> like didn't, they know didn't know what they were standing in, and they see a boot for all. They're like, what the fuck? We need to get out of here. Where are all these people? By the way, there's like hundreds of people working in this facility. Where are these people coming from? Is he blackmailing yeah, all of know. them? I don't. These are the, the henchman kind of questions that I really like to get into. Like, where are all these guns coming from? You know. I mean, I don't mean guns physically. I mean, the people carrying the guns, where are these hired guns coming from? Yeah. He's got like a small army of what would be like mercenaries or whatever. And it's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just hires them because he apparently has unlimited money and he has an island. And yeah, that's the, the super villain just assumption yeah. that he's got right. unlimited money and, and an island. And somewhere. goons. Yeah. Just goons on goons. It's goons. All the mindless goons. Yeah. Uh, I love a good mindless goon. You don't feel bad. You don't feel bad about them dying. Like, yeah, great. Shoot that yeah. guy in the head. Who cares? Exactly. Yeah, it's fine. They're uh, bad guys. They're a, just generic bad yeah. guys. A slightly more more personal goon was the dude with the eyeball and the <laughs> bad haircut. Yeah. I don't care. That was good. I mean, it was nice that he died. I liked the way he went. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, it was. But yeah, it was kind of like... Oh, he they, he's like the trick play. Like we need we need him in here just to have one slightly elevated goon with yeah. you know something distinguishing. It it was fine. It definitely yeah. was like a bit of a trope, but whatever. Didn't didn't invest much thought. He was yeah. a better you know slightly elevated villain than the guy with the, the laser sword arm from yeah. Shang Chi and the the Ten Rings. Razor razor fist. Yeah, sure. Isn't that what that, was that, that New Zealand kid called himself in um, Deadpool? He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking raise a fist or like something like that. A fire fist. That's fine. Something. So it's fire fist. Fire fist. I'm fire yeah. fist. Bitches. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that dude. Yeah. Fun kid. Same with yeah. him and uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Great. That's a funny, funny little dude. Absolutely. I love that kid. Hunt for Wilder People was so good. I'm glad you watched that. Yeah, that was if we had a list of my future broken promises, that would have well actually it wouldn't have been on it because I just do it if I tell you I'm gonna do it, but it's fine. Yeah. Well, you're better <laughs> than me in a lot of ways, and that's just one of them. Oh, I really like I was just reading the uh cast list here and uh Q. This is what it says about Q, the Ben Wishaw character. MI6 is quartermaster, which is what Q stands for, who outfits double O agents with equipment for use in the field. In the film, Q is revealed to be gay when Money Penny and Bond interrupt him planning a dinner date. I like that they put that in uh to his little Wikipedia blurb. All right. Just so everyone knows. Yeah. Okay. I'm good on this. Yeah, man. Let's put it to bed.
Okay, if you, again, get a chance to watch No Time to Die, reach out. Let us know what you think. I think it's good. So does Johnny. Just see it. And if you want, I think you should, if you have the time, watch the four preceding Bond films. They're all pretty good. I think, in case anyone's curious, my ranking of those, uh, let me pull them up just to make sure I get this right. Um, They, let's see. Uh, I'm going to probably put, I'm going to put, I'm going to put this one at the top. And the only reason that works is because of what came before it. So asterisk is at the top. After that, it's Casino Royale. Then, you know what? Actually, after that, it's Skyfall. Then it's Casino Royale. And I didn't finish Spectre, but I'm pretty sure Spectre is better than Quantum of Solace because Quantum of Solace was not good, if you ask me. Okay. Boring. Interesting. And dumb. Okay. And I Boring didn't and like dumb. it. So they mi- one of them missed. The yeah. other four, yeah. good. Yeah. Not- okay. Um, now I'm good on this. All right. You made me want to watch Casino Royale again. It's fucking worth. great. It just turned 15 this year, so go watch it. Maybe you should put that on the list. Uh, I'll, no. No, I've seen it, but yeah, yeah I want to yeah. watch it again. Uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a revisit. All right, well, I'm in, but I'm also quite thirsty. Yeah, let's get to beer number two. Uh, okay, another one that I've picked out. This is their, this is, oh, let me just read the can. It says, Radeberger Pilsner Zwickle Beer. And it says, right underneath, it says, Hazy, choices, tops, pale malt, spring water since 18, we already know, 1872. Uh, this is another 4.8% beer. And I wanted to read just briefly a little bit from the Chicago Tribune. They did an article a little while back talking about what a Zwickel beer is. Um, and the one thing they didn't say, which I feel was an oversight, is that a, a Zwickel beer is basically basically a weaker and, and sort of less lush and full-flavored version of a Keller beer. Um, Keller beer is a German lager, obviously. It's basically like a Pilsner. It's just not clarified or pasteurized, so they, there's a lot more haziness in it. Um, but what the Chicago Tribune had to say of a Zwickel beer is this. It's an unfiltered German lager that's cloudy, refreshing, sessionable. It's a bready, yeasty beer that's balanced and unpretentious, which I think is nice. It can appeal to those who want a, quote, beer that tastes like beer, which I thought you might like, while at the same time mm. having enough complexity for those who want to think about what it is they're drinking. Um, they also say that if beer trends followed a logical path, we'd be starting to see the Zwickel beer craze take off. After all, Zwickel sits in the middle of a number of disparate currents Disparate currents? Sure. That breweries across the country have latched onto. Unfiltered, hazy beers like New England IPAs, uh, and sessionable, well-crafted lagers, and a hyper-focus on freshness and crispy boys. I added the crispy boys. They say it's a beer to drink Friday after work, or with complex cheeses, or on a warm day after mowing the grass. It can suit just about any occasion. That's uh, Florian Kuplent. He's a brewmaster at Urban Chestnut Brewing, uh, which have been bringing their own take on the style since 2011. So, Zwickle beer in a shell of nuts. Done. Interesting. All right. Well, I was going to ask what the hell a Zwickle beer is. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. Mm-hmm. I, I learned a bit. I wasn't super familiar with the style. Right. Um, yeah. So have you opened yours? Have you tried it? Because I have. Now. So I'm getting light, clean, crisp. No apple like the first one. And this has... Hmm. Way more hops. This one definitely has a punchy hop presence that was definitely not as pronounced as the first one, which I like. They upped the hops in this big time. Is there? Does it say what hops are in it on the can? It doesn't think not. so. It just says... That's fine. Uh, and it says hazy. I feel like they had to put that on there to kind of get on board with some trends, like you were saying. Right. But this is more than not just an unfiltered lager. Uh, it definitely strikes the notes of a crispy boy. It finishes much more bitter than the first one. Uh, well, stop comparing it to the first one. We'll just review this beer. Sure. It's 
nice. It's really nice. It's a very hoppy Pilsner. If I hadn't seen it in my glass, I really don't think I would have guessed that it was unfiltered or yeah. branded as hazy. It feels just like a very well-made like hopped Pilsner. I'm digging this. It's way punchier than uh, than the first one and way punchier than a lot of Pilsners that you have. That that hop zing right in the front really makes me yeah, like they're saying kind of a, a beer that tastes like beer. Just way more hops, and I lean towards this. It depends on the mood. Sometimes I'd want something a bit more clean and less hops, but this is a this is a great addition to their arsenal. Have they? Do you know if Radeburger's made this for a long time, or if this is a new addition? I do not know. That's fine. I think it fits well into their lineup, and it drinks really nice. It's it's refreshing. It's easy to drink. It goes down smooth, but it does have a bit more body and and presence than the first one. I I would recommend getting both and trying them side by side. I it's hard to say which one's better, but as standing alone, I like this beer quite a bit. Yeah, you might be yeah, you might I be would, in for a bit of a, a challenge if you try to f- find this one. It's definitely less readily available than the first Pilsner we did. Uh, it's only it said something on their website. I don't have it in front of me, but I remember reading that this is only. It, it was something very, um, very formal sounding, like only available with our trusted, uh, you know, our trusted outlets in the States. So like, there's only a few mm. places you can get it from what I understand. And I bet you one of those is craft, but, uh, yeah, when I, I've poured mine too, now mine is in my Stein and it, it looks, I mean, it definitely looks unfiltered. It feels almost misleading and it could just be because I'm so used to now hearing the word hazy and associating it with New England IPAs, but this mm-hmm. does just look like a. Yeah, almost a Keller beer, really, like almost a Hefeweizen, but not nearly, not that cloudy. But there's definitely yeah. some yeast and stuff floating around in there that if you like sort of rotate the glass, the stuff in there doesn't quite move. Um, it's got a thick sort of very, very micro bubbled white pillowy head that's really sticking around on mine. I haven't even drank it yet, but it's uh, just, it's, it's, the head is really just hanging in there. It's nice. Yeah, it is. It's definitely got a smoother mouthfeel with that. It feels like smaller bubbles, so definitely a little bit creamier and smooth mm-hmm. on the mouth. Yeah, I I was filled with trepidation when you said that it was similar to a, a Keller beer because I do not like the Keller Weiss. I'm not a fan of that beer. Like, it's too sweet for me personally. I I enjoy them at times, maybe like once a year. Yeah, uh, it's a good it's a good fall beer, but it's definitely not something that I would gravitate towards right now so the fact that it's only vaguely similar to that is good and i don't think think that comparison is something that should scare you away from this beer yeah i don't know if i was just conflating kellerweiss and hefeweizens because they're not the same style but in my brain they were similar but i think i was trying to say more of a kellerweiss when i was saying what it looks like and and not a hefeweizen because it's not quite as yellow or cloudy as that but yeah for sure like a kellerweiss which is more of a a, kellerweiss is yeah, but the Hefeweizen are the ones that get into that sweet territory, right? Yeah, and actually there is some sweetness here. In addition to the hoppiness you were pointing out, there is almost like a molasses kind of sweetness, just just a little bit to to kind of round it out, in my opinion, that, that I actually really like. This is super solid. Yeah, this is a very nice beer. I think it's super approachable, easy drinking, got a bit of a hop bite. Yeah, smooth. I like it. I think it would go great with with food. This is a great dinner beer. I would love this with barbecue. I yeah. think this would go really yeah. well with, with some nice meat or a nice sandwich. Yeah, 100%. I could, yeah, that sounds very good. Yeah. This is something I would order 
uh, at like a German beer hall and be very pleased if I got like a mixed sausage sampler with like some homemade pickled vegetables. Yeah. Just really fresh, vibrant, like delicious pretzels. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely a beer house beer. I like it. Um, I just took another drink, obviously. Um, it's good, man. I'm, there's something that I don't love. I'm not sure what it is. It might just be, it might be the added complexity from the lack of filtration. Um, mm-hmm. But it's adding some flavors or maybe more appropriately not taking away some flavors that mm. are just kind of leaving me a little bit cloying, just a little bit like just slightly too sweet for, for my own personal taste. Yeah. I think everything I don't like about this beer is in like the last third of it yep. in the drinking experience. Yep. I don't like the taste it leaves in my mouth. Uh, it really finishes. It makes me kind of dry a yep. little, a little bitter kind of makes me smack my tongue to the top of my mouth and say, hmm, okay, yeah, that definitely has a beer aftertaste way heavier than a lot of other Pilsners and stuff. So, yeah, the finish doesn't go quite as clean as I would like, but that's probably my only negative, I'd say. Well, then before we get to rating it, I will give you a tiny bit of trivia, which is that uh, Zwickel beer was originally uh, used to refer to the small amount of beer taken uh, by the brewmaster during the brewing process from their barrel. And they use this little tiny siphon that was called the Zwickelhahn, which is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I want to see if I can find a picture like of that. it. But while, while I'm looking up a picture, why don't you uh, give me a rating out of 10? Yeah, out of 10, this beer feels like a 7-7. Seven, seven. It's solid. It'd be a good everyday beer if you're in the mood for something a little bit more bitter and a little bit dry and definitely some hop punch. Uh, but if you're looking for a crisp, clean lager this this isn't quite that definitely more the hoppy lager uh it's it's really good it's well made but it doesn't get over a seven seven for me 7.7 i'm gonna give it an eight i think it's really good i've had a bunch of them at this point um and since we were on the airwaves earlier i couldn't say specifically but this four pack of 16 ounce cans was i think nine dollars and then the six pack of the pilsner also pine cans was like 850 dude you gotta bring back yeah like it was a crazy good deal yeah, next time you're in Reno, we'll just bring me back a case. Deal. Um, Zwick, Zwickelhahn uh, translates to English, and I believe if this one website, uh, the Hop Ferre, is to be believed, it translates, and I'm sorry, to Draincock. So, nice. <laughs> you Hell know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's weird. That's a weird way of translating it, I guess, but fine. The Zwickelhahn. Hey, shit gets weird in the hood sometimes. Oh, man. here's finally found a picture of it. If uh, if you'll indulge me, uh, it is a it is a long. Think of a metal straw on one end. It's about four inches of metal straw, and then it coils about nine or ten times. And the coils are about an inch and a half to two inches in diameter. And then it comes out the other end with another bit of a straw. And there's like a pump with a little hand plunger that I think you suck beer into that straw with. Oh, it's like a coiled turkey baster. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Sure, yeah. Classic classic drain <laughs> Interesting. Cock. All right. Yep. So, moving on from beer, you want more stuff to talk about? <laughs> no, I'm good, man. It's a solid beer. I like the first one better, but, I mean, seriously, don't sleep on Radeburger if you've never tried them. Yeah, agreed. Okay, hot and bothered? Let's do it. Hot and bothered. Welcome to Hot and Bothered. It's part of the show. We talk about what's got us hot and bothered. Johnny, what's got you hot and bothered this week? Yeah, man. 
I went to San Francisco this last weekend to my very first San Francisco Giants playoff game. Against the Dodgers. If you're not against the Dodgers. And if you're not in the know, they are playing the Dodgers. Uh, as we record, the game will be starting shortly, so I'll probably have to go soon. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'd never been to a playoff game. I've been to a bunch of Giants games, just never made it down. Uh, and I bought the tickets before I even knew we were going to be playing the Dodgers, uh, just because I knew we were waiting to see who we played because we won our division. So we got like the week off, essentially. And then it was a one-game playoff between the Dodgers and St. Louis to see who would play us. The Dodgers won it in dramatic fashion with a walk-off home run. And so I ended up having in my hot little hands tickets to see the first ever playoff series between the Dodgers and the Giants. We've never played each other in the postseason. It's That's fun. the weirdest thing. Yeah, we've been rivals for, you know, since I believe they said 1890, back on the East Coast when it was the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New mm. York Giants. Um, so it's a rivalry that's gone on forever. Huge rivalry in the regular season. Been to Giants-Dodgers games a bunch. First time ever saw them in the playoffs. Went to the second game ever in the playoffs playing each other. We lost terribly they kicked the shit out of us we lost nine to two but had a great weekend in the city made it fun ended up being there for fleet week and got to check into the hotel and walk down to the water and see the whole blue angels air show so it was really cool and then went out after found some cool bars and drank some good beers and just just had a great time in the city so it was uh you know a mix of hot and bothered, but it was a blast. It was really cool to see a playoff game in person for the first time. So that was my big hot for the week, for sure. Nice, man. Uh, and I have somewhat of a bothered, but I do not want to get into it too deep Damn because it. it contains spoilers. Yeah. But if you're like me and you've been following along with Ted Lasso, Damn it. Uh, watch... Watch the season finale, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to say anything specific other than, very broadly, uh, for me personally, the season finale was a bit of a letdown. Damn it. Okay. Shoot. Uh, yeah. Uh, the There was two episodes leading up to the finale that I thought were much more impactful and had way more depth and things going on. There were definitely things that happened. Some big things happened in the finale, but it didn't have the heft that I wanted it to. I think my standards for the show were so high. Like, I mean, three or four of the episodes this season made me well up a bit and the season finale didn't. And that just left me kind of confused. I'm like, I'm ready to be like emotionally raw after this. Yeah. And it was just, it was just kind of meh. So I look forward to discussing it with you after you watch the season finale. Your take might be completely different. You might love it. So uh, I look forward to having a chat about that after you watch it. Uh, So let me know when you're caught up and we'll go from there. Yeah, you got it. I only have one thing this week, which is that I got a new book. It is called The Beer Bible, and it is a book by an author named Jeff Allworth, and it's described as the essential beer lover's guide, including more than 100 types of beers to know arranged style by style. Um, I've got it in front of me. It's got about 600 and some odd pages and there's an index in the back defining all these different or not yeah, an index in the back telling you where these things are in the book. So if you want to look up, say Zwickelbeer, I, I bet you it's in here. I'm not going to do it now, but you could flip to the page where it discusses it. I'm just opening a random page here. Um, and this is Ales of the Rhine. So there's an entire chapter on Kolsch's and alt beers. Uh, it's a great book. I haven't really had a chance to dive into it. I've read about a chapter um, and the first chapter is basically just like, Let's see what it's actually officially called. 
uh, finding your bearings. It's just sort of learning how to use the book and like, you know, stuff from the author about like what beer means to him and that sort of thing. But it was like 20 bucks on Amazon. Um, and Johnny, you and I had had a conversation about me wanting to get a little bit more versed in beer vocabulary and learning how to describe things that I'm tasting a little bit better and, and even knowing what I should be, you know, keying into as I'm drinking beer. So I think this is a pretty good jumping off point. And if anybody wants the link to it, uh, or just Google the beer Bible, it's a pretty well-known book from what I understand. Nice. Yeah. That seems like it would be really essential and helpful, especially as, as deep as we go sometimes in styles, i.e. Zwickle beers. Sure. Uh, just, just knowing what a style should taste like and just having a baseline of knowledge helps you critique things so much more effectively. So yeah, I definitely want to buy a copy or, or steal that from you once you've done, I don't know, that's something that's like a reference book. You're going to yeah, want that around. I was going to say, yeah, I'm probably going to like annotate it and stuff, but I mean, if you wanted to borrow it for a couple of days to see if you wanted to buy one of your own, I'd be happy to lend it to you, obviously. All right. I'll let you research it with it for a while. And if, if it still bears credence, I will just spend the $20 of our hard earned Patreon money and, and, get one for myself. <laughs> that sounds great. I think you absolutely should. Do you have anything else uh, this week, my friend, that you want to touch on? Maybe let people know what we're watching next week. Uh, this week, we're all set. Next week's episode, we have our movie locked in. We are going to be covering the Ridley Scott. That sounds right movie? to me. Yeah. Is it Ridley Scott? I, I think, think it's it Ridley Scott. Yeah. Yeah. With Matt Damon, Adam Driver, and Ben Affleck, we're talking about The Last Duel. That is our featured movie next week. Beers are still to be determined because... They haven't canned them yet. That's how yeah, fresh, that's we're, how fresh drinking. we're drinking these babies. That's right. So catch up with that movie if you get a chance to see it before the episode drops. We'd uh, we'd love your feedback as well. Or just watch it so you can follow along and, and know what the hell we're talking about. Thanks to all of our friends on Patreon, our supporters at The Handlebar. That is Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. We wouldn't be what we are without you. Remember to drink good beer, watch movies that make you happy, and always be good to each other. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.